The following message is from the 2019 IBCD Training Institute, Identity Crisis. This is I Am Successful. My name is Curtis Solomon. And uh, why don't you start with me by turning to Psalm chapter 90, if you have your Bibles with you. If you don't, please feel free to read or just listen while I read Psalm 90. Psalm chapter 90 is a prayer of Moses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight is like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath, and by your, by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they are contained 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this evening. We thank You for the opportunity to gather together for a few days to delve deeply into Your Word and consider what it means to be the people that You have called and created us to be. Lord, as we think about the issue of identity this next couple of days, in, in this workshop in particular, thinking about how we often confuse our identity with success. Lord, help us to be <clears throat> discerning and wise. Help us to seek out answers from your word. Lord, I pray that we would learn not just what it means to be successful or, or what we think it means to be successful, but what we should do with the successes and failures that you bring into our lives. Lord, give me wisdom, give me clarity of speech, and help us tonight as we discuss this topic to think well about it, to sharpen one another, and to help, as we are all instruments in your hands, to mold one another into the image of your Son. We ask these things in his name. Amen. So, I am successful. This is kind of, for me, an interesting topic. Uh, I don't know about you, but this seemed like a little bit of a weird one to me. Um, and I'll be honest, when I got, to, I was assigned this one, I can't remember exactly how it happened. I was just joking with Bob. I'm going to go look back in my email and figure out how this happened, because I don't remember asking for this topic, but nonetheless, here we go. Um, the, the question is, what does it say about me and what does it say about you that we are all here in this seminar called I Am Successful? Uh, I, I want to ask these questions. I'm going to ask a number of questions uh, about why maybe you're here. Uh, and then I'm going to go back through them. And if you feel the freedom to raise your hand and say, yeah, that's why I'm here, great. If you don't feel like saying that, that's fine either. I just like to get to know the people I'm talking to a little bit. So uh, a few ideas that I could think of of why somebody would sign up for this class is that maybe you see yourself as somebody who is successful, and maybe you feel a little bit bothered by that. 
maybe you feel like I shouldn't, I shouldn't think I'm successful because that's maybe that's pride and the Bible clearly tells us not to be prideful. So what, how should I th- think about that? Or maybe you see yourself as a success and you're just curious about why this would be offered as a topic. You're like, yeah, I'm successful. What? Who cares? This is a counseling conference. Why would anybody care about that issue? Or maybe you're wondering, you want to, you want to be successful and you're hoping this was a, a class on how to become successful. <laughs> I hate to burst your bubble. It's not. So if you want to pick another one, there's a door. <laughs> there's a door. <laughs> um, or maybe you don't see yourself as success as successful and it bothers you. So maybe you're hoping that there's some comfort for you in this class. Or maybe you counsel people and recognize that success is something that can be that can cause people trouble, whether they achieve it or not. Or maybe there's some completely different reason that I have no idea of and uh, I couldn't think of any. Uh, any other ideas come to mind of why maybe it's not maybe it's the idea that you have yourself or just ideas of why this topic would be offered, why anybody would be interested in thinking about success? Dominates our culture. Mm, absolutely. Dominates our culture. It's a pursuit of a lot of men out there that have anything. Yeah, absolutely. I like people in general, when you look at social media, that's what success is, being able to post something on whatever part of social media you are. Yeah, uh, and how many people repost it, and how many followers you have, and just the pressure yep. that's behind that. What does that mean? Yep. Hmm. Good. With the the focus of the uh, event being on identity, you know all the different roles that we have in our life, parents, um, you know, provider, whatever else that looks like. Um, I think we can end up looking to those roles and then be distracted by becoming successful in those individual roles. Yeah. Not necessarily the aggregate responsibility we have to take away. No, absolutely. That was one of the things. So one of the things I did preparing for this is I thought of people that I knew who I would con- I would consider successful in various different categories of life. Sometimes some professionally, some educationally, some in family, some other things and I just sent them a four question survey, real quick one saying this was the first question that I asked them, do you think you're successful? Would you consider yourself to be successful? And then a couple other questions, like what are some common temptations that come along with that and what would you say to those things? And it was very interesting to see the responses that got, especially on the question of do you think you're successful or not? People that I would say, uh, you, I would look at as a success in some field or another, um, it was not, it was probably 50% said no, uh, 12%-ish said unsure, and the rest of them said yes. And I was, I was really, it was, yeah, it was just pretty interesting. Um, so if, you, if I'm going to read through those again. If you feel comfortable saying, yeah, that's why I'm here, raise your hand. If you don't, don't, and that's totally cool. And if nobody raises their hand, I'll realize nobody wants, that's fine. Um, so let me ask you, do you see yourself as a success and maybe feel a little awkward about that or feel uncomfortable about that? Do you see yourself as a success and you're just curious why in the world would anybody talk? Siri apparently thinks this is something to talk about. <laughs> I think it has a lot to do with what do you define success to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, in one sense, I would say in the world's eyes, no, absolutely not. I'm not successful. But in what I feel is the Lord's way of viewing success, I, I'm not saying I feel successful, but I feel I'm making progress in that direction. Good. That's yeah. how I would say well, Thank you. On that note, hand up your papers, because I'm going <laughs> to, I'll use them in a minute, not this minute, but, uh, no, 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 don't put your name on it. You, oh. If you did, that's fine. <clears throat> So how about, um, anybody want to be successful? Yeah, okay. Anybody think that this was a success class? <laughs> All right. How many of you, it's, uh, you're driven by the, the recognition that you're counseling people and they're wrestling with this issue? Anybody? Yeah. Um, 
Okay, how many feel awkward about this topic? All right. Well, good, because I do too. So <laughs> let's, just, let's just all be open and honest about it. This is a little, it's, yeah, it's a little bit weird, but in uh, the, the issue, the, I think part of the reason that this, I was interested in doing this topic after I was given the topic was the fact that why, why is it awkward? Why is it awkward? And I think some, t- some of that awkwardness comes from the way we define success and the way that, that Christians in the church talk about success. Because I got some very, it was really interesting reading people's responses to that survey, but also just talking to other people but, and reading other uh, topics about who, what does it mean to be successful on the Gospel Coalition or other blogs and things like that. People have very different views of what it means to be successful and whether or not it's okay or appropriate for Christians to claim to be successful. Um, if I get too far off my notes, I'll just go down rabbit trails all day long. So <clears throat> how do we conceptualize or discuss success? There, when I thought about it, I came to two, two extremes that we often fall into as Christians when we think about success. The first extreme is success is, is necessarily a sign of God's approval or favor. So somebody being successful is necessarily a sign of God's approval or favor. I think this is a, a, a false view of success that people oftentimes fall into. And anytime you have two extremes, then there's a spectrum between those two extremes that people fall on all over the place. Everybody loves spectrum disorders now, so we're going to come up with success spectrum disorder. Just kidding. Um, but this is what this is what people see and and identify with with the prosperity gospel, right? If I just do enough stuff, if, I, if I've earned God's favor in some way, shape, or form, then he is going to smile on me and he's going to give me millions of dollars and let me drive a Bentley and have $5,000 tennis shoes, apparently. Um, and, and that's a problem. Why, why is that a problem? Anybody? It's not true. It's not true. How do we know it's not true? How do we know it's not biblical? It's not in the Bible. Well, but doesn't doesn't God tell Joshua in Joshua one eight if he follows after him, he'll give him success and prosperity in what he does? Psalm chapter one, right? If you meditate on the law of the Lord, but it goes back to the what is viewed as success. Yep. And success following God and success doing uh, what God called you to do. If that's your definition of success, I think that's what God. So let's look, let's look at song. I'm playing totally playing devil's advocate with you, obviously, <laughs> but I'm trying to I'm trying to get get at what are some of the places in Scripture that we recognize and we know because the prosperity gospel is everywhere, right? And and we and I agree with you, it's not biblical. But how do we know? Because they they can you can pull different passages of Scripture in isolation out and make a pretty good argument that if I do the right things, it's almost like God is this cosmic genie and doing righteousness is a way of rubbing his lamp so that he then gives me what I want, right? Ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. So, so Psalm 1, and think of, look at the language which Psalm 1 uses. In Psalm 1, 3, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, whatever he does, he prospers. That sounds to me like a prosperity gospel, right? That if, as long as I avoid wicked people, and I delight in the law of the Lord, and I meditate on it day and night, then I will succeed in every venture that I put my, myself to. That's not the right interpretation of this passage, but you can see where people get this. So how do we know? Well, a couple couple ways that we recognize this is not true is that does well. First of all, does all success are all successful people righteous, successful in the eyes of the world? Are all people on this earth who are prospering doing so because of righteousness? No, absolutely not. 
so two two psalms that should that a little bit easy for you to remember if you remember Psalm thirty seven and seventy three. You just flip those numbers around. Are two psalms that that both talk about the fact that the wicked oftentimes prosper. In Psalm seventy three, I'm just looking at the first nine verses. Uh, Asaph is crying out to God. He's saying, "Surely he starts out where he where he is right now." But then he backtracks us a little bit to where he was before. And he says, surely God is good to Israel and those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant. And I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat, which back then was a good thing, uh, because it was was evidence that they had bountiful food, plenty to eat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and the garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness, their imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues parade through the earth. And he goes on to describe more and more and more. But he says, they prospered. So we know that this extreme, so if you, you know, oftentimes in life we're faced with this idea of two extremes. There, if this is the narrow road we're supposed to drive down, we oftentimes find ways of finding gulches on both sides to drive into. And one of those is, I'm just going to, for sake of simplicity, call it the prosperity idea of success. And I'm a horrible speller, FYI, so if I misspell anything... Tell my wife, she'll, she'll let you know it's true. So, so one of those is that, so any sign of, prosper, uh, of success or prosperity is necessarily because of God's approval, means that God approves. This is also important for us to recognize that because people will oftentimes will point to megachurches all the time, right? And say, they must be doing something right if that many people are going there. And I just want to ask, how many Buddhists are there in the world? How many Muslims are there in the world? You know, but I mean, I heard it from family members of my own mouth. Like when certain churches that that had kind of questionable philosophy of ministries were growing and growing and growing, they would say, look at that church and look how great they are. We need to just mimic them because clearly if they're growing that big, God must be blessing their ministry. And that's, we just have to be careful. The other extreme is that success is necessarily grounded in sin or the pursuit of it is sinful. I had one of the one of the guys I talked to, I interviewed some other people about this too. One of them was my former youth pastor who had um, he he was my youth pastor right after he came out of college and he did youth ministry for 28 years and uh, had by all exterior measurements of very successful youth ministry. By the time he ended, he was at a church of 20,000 people, 1,500 kids in the youth group, all that kind of stuff. 28 years, retired, goes into uh, uh, sales with his wife, and now they're making over a million dollars a year in sales and just just killing it, doing an amazing job there. And so I was just asking him about the differences of the pressures of success in ministry versus this and that. And, And one of the things he said to me stuck out is he said that People in the church looked at us and assumed that if we were succeeding in the marketplace, we must be doing something wrong. We must be doing something sinful. And, and another person, uh, the survey that I sent out, I got the, the responses back anonymously, so I didn't judge everybody. Um, but what, somebody said the word successful is a worldly term. And I thought... I've seen the word success in Scripture used in a very positive way. Like in Joshua 1.8, where God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous, follow after me, do the law, follow my law, and I will give you success and prosperity. So we don't want to fall, we don't want to fall into this pit, and we don't want to fall into this pit. 
And I think because we see both of these things so prominently discussed in, in, in the church, this is probably why it's an awkward conversation for us. Because if you are successful and you're, going, you're, you're doing well in your job, you're prospering, you're doing all this stuff, and you're going to church and people have this opinion of you, or you hear your preacher talk in a, a way that betrays this, you're going to feel very awkward about it. Or if, I, don't, I think most of us are probably not over here, so we're not going to focus as much on that. But we do, we get this idea that, that ambition or even the pursuit of, of trying to be successful, um, trying to, to make money, trying to have a, well, most of us wouldn't say trying to have a good family is wrong, but how many parents feel guilty if their adult children walk away from the Lord, but they felt very proud when their kids were seen to be following the Lord and doing those things. That's a rampant, I mean, that is just huge, especially in ministry. If, you're, if you have a, a, a vocation in ministry, that's a major pressure for a lot of people. Uh, and, and I've known godly, godly parents who said, yeah, there, we had a source of pride in our children and when they fell away, it was a huge hit to our pride, to our identity. So we want to. So where where do we go in this direction? So some questions that we need to discuss when we're talking about success are one: How is success measured? I'm not going to get to what is the definition of success right away, but how is success measured? Thoughts, ideas. I like interaction, by the way. One of the things that, and I forget uh, the Joshua 1 verse exactly, but I, I heard something in there, and I saw something in Psalm 1 that, that resonated with me. And in Psalm 1, it was the fact that this person was delighting in the law. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in Joshua, there was something to that same effect yep. of you're, you're seeking it. So, so I'd say success is, is tied to that. Okay. God's, in God's definition of success would be tied to... Are we seeking him in the things of Yeah, no, so good. we'll find success in those areas. You're stealing my thunder, but go right on ahead. No, that's good, yeah. So, yeah, both of those passages, you'll see a really strong tie to obeying the law of the Lord and, and there being a, almost a conditional tie there. If you follow after me, then you will prosper. Good. Other thoughts? So, th- I mean, think about how do, how do people typically measure success? Okay. I just think that's why, you know, like the false religions, they're all, they think that, you know, they, they're successful when they do more to get closer to the Lord, or when we feel, as Christians even, um, more successful, you know, and I think it's a fallacy of, you know, something that we always have to check as a human, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, gosh, I did, and I grew up in a church, it was very mission-minded, so I naturally wanted to, and um, my parents were builders, you know, that's the generation of builders, builders is naturally built America. And I, I just think that um, all of that combined, you know, through observation of how America was built and then just how our legacy is and then maybe the church that we were raised in or not, um, that we just naturally feel more successful when we're serving on Sunday morning or getting involved. Yeah. And you want to you make sure that, you know, your heart's right. I mean, we want to do those things, but we have to, you know, ask ourselves why are we doing yeah, no, I mean, uh, anybody coming out of a legalistic background knows we're doers, right? I mean, and you don't even just have to be out of a legalistic background. I think human nature, there's something about it that makes us want to do That's why the gospel is so offensive, is it's a you-can't-do-it message. And everything in our, especially in American culture, like you're talking about, it is that the, we praise the self-made man, we praise the person who can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. The person who, it's funny, I don't know if you guys, if anybody ever watches BBC things uh, like Downton Abbey and Poldark and stuff like this. Uh, you can tell what my wife and I have been interested in. But they're very, uh, it's interesting because they're looking back at this caste system, oftentimes where you had highborns and lowborns and people who, who come from generations of nobility and have money, and the people who, who are self-made are looked at with disdain. They're new money. They're, 
whatever. But in our culture, because we're, you know, we kicked the Brits' butts, right? We're revolutionaries. Uh, we went the opposite direction and we're like, no, the self-made man is great. Um, so yeah, we have, that's something maybe even more difficult in, in American culture. I don't know. I haven't compared it to every other culture in the world. But yeah, we want to be doers. Good. So the things that we do, think about um, oftentimes we measure success and levels of achievement, whether it's wealth, some kind of financial. Uh, how many people wanted to be millionaires before they were 30? You know, and now it's like you got to be a billionaire or you got to make a company that can sell for a billion dollars, right? Fame, we were, somebody mentioned earlier the, the social media thing. Fame now can be one for nothing. You know, I, get a, I, I happen to shoot a video that becomes viral, and it's about a stupid cat jumping up and trying to eat a bird on a window or something, you know. But, but because a million people watched the video I posted, I feel good. I feel like I've achieved something. Education. Recognition is another way oftentimes we feel success, whether that's through awards, praise of others, followers. Um, and then what, what about the context? What is the context of success? I already meant, we mentioned careers, family, athletics, education, physical achievements. I've maintained the same weight that I had since I was in high school. I haven't, but you know, people, some people might like that. Um, <clears throat> Goal achievement, I think, gets at what you're talking about, that we set goals to do certain things and we achieve those goals. That means we're successful, right? Um, and then question the question of who determines what success means. If you've ever been an employee, you have a boss who determines some level, has some thing to say about what success is, Right? They determine whether or not you keep your job, whether or not you get a salary raise, whether or not you get a bonus. What about your spouse if you're married? Does your spouse have anything to say about whether or not you're a success? And then obviously, God. So I'm just going to, so the question then, we, I, I, and this is a 55-minute lecture. There's no way we can go into all the ins and outs of these things, but I think, I just want to, spark your mind with those questions like we need to be thinking about these things because we we the question of if, if if success is something we should never consider and never think about where does evaluation come in if you are an if you're the boss can you measure the successes or failures of your employees in a christian way is that is that proper so what do we mean by success i'm going to read a few of your Answers, uh, to be within the will of God, good. <clears throat> Acknowledgement by the world for a, uh, some contribution or you don't have to answer because biblically a humility that enables the Holy Spirit to open the blind eyes or the absence of failures. That's like three definitions of success. That's a helpful thing. All my children love the Lord. Being a good husband, father, mother, faithful to God's word in all of these things. To meet a standard, whether it's cultural, religious, relational, the, the satisfaction to the, to the satisfaction of the standards judge. Hmm. Somebody put some thought into that one. To find your purpose and fulfill it. Purpose or calling and fulfill it. To accomplish a predetermined purpose, to fulfill the role, responsibility, or mission or plan that is yours. To find joy in all circumstance, to have a good relationship with your spouse, kids, and, uh, and a set of fun time in the home. Person's a fun parent. To be found faithful in being who I am in Christ, in the word, in deed. To have pleased God, 2 Corinthians 5.9. What is effective for the Lord, personal growth in Christ. One other ministry, love, of, love for others. 
and, oh, I was hoping it was blank. That would have been fun. <laughs> when what we do brings glory to God. So you can see what I wanted to do, the main thing, well, I was curious, but the main thing I wanted you to see is just that there's a lot of different understandings of what it means to be successful and how people define success and what it means. So that's another reason why this conversation is kind of awkward because we don't even necessarily know what we're all talking about uh, and the confusion of different ways that we look at it. Um, <clears throat> I think the, I had some others. I think you nailed all the ones that I was listed, listed here. I have some others that I'll give you later on down the in our time. So one, one thing to think about is that if we look at success, if we kind of addressing the, the issue of the identi our identity being in success, um, I'm not sure if all, what all the other speakers will cover as far as identity goes, but a, one big, a couple big concepts that I think of when I think about identity is first and foremost, ident our identity is tied to what God is our creator says about us, not anybody else or not what I say. We see the danger of that in, our, in the contemporary culture where um, you hear phrases like identity politics and people who just choose whatever they want to say about themselves. So a few things that you can think about what your identity is as you are created or named by your God is you are a human being, you are male or female, you are a sinner or a saint, and those are categories that don't ch you cannot change, right? The sinner saint thing, you're still a sinner, but you're a saint only by God's grace and by His power and His transforming work. But all of the other things, if we try to fix our identity, if you say, well, I'm tall or short or whatever, well, those things can change. If I'm healthy, if I'm a carpenter, if I'm a mother, if I'm all these things, these things are things that can be... Now, I would say with the parent thing, that doesn't necessarily... Like, say your children, if your children pass away, that doesn't mean you're not a mother anymore. So it's not always clear lines on that because God also declared you to be a parent. So, but the, that big idea that what you are is not determined by yourself is, is the main thing I'm trying to get at there. <clears throat> Another thing is that the, the, when God says something about you, that the, the second point is that it's not transitioning. It's not something that changes. Um, if you start, if you try to put your identity in something that is flexible, transitory, not steadfast. It's like building a, found, a house on a foundation that is crumbling or cracking or that moves. How many of you live in California? How many of you have ever had a crack in your house because of an earthquake? Anybody? Yeah, we, li we lived up in Atascadero for seven years and we, just, we had a few shakers but nothing big. But you... We know it's not, you don't want to build something on something that moves. And if you try to build your identity on something that moves, your life is going to be shaken, if not come crumbling down. And our success, think about, so if you think about any of the other topics that you're going to talk about, whether it's, I find my identity in my sin, I find my identity in my diagnosis. So, you know, Deepak Reju is doing a talk on, I am a porn addict or a porn struggler or something like that. Somebody else is doing something on I am uh, my diagnosis. If we, if we fix, try to fix our identity on something like that that is, one, that's bad, that's going to be, we're going to have problems, but also our identity on something that is shaking, that is movable, and that thing moves, our life is going to be in trouble. It, it produces chaos. Your success or failure, as we'll see in a moment, is you play a part in it, but it's not ultimately determined by you, and it can be taken away at any moment. I mean, I mean, how many people have been millionaires and then lost it all, whether from their own their own misdoing or the misdeeds of somebody else? I mean, the 2008 financial crisis showed us that a lot of people 
lost a lot of money because of somebody else's foolishness. Um, if we place our identity in something like that as unsure ground, when there are vibrations in that grounding, the rest of our lives can be shaken and threatened with collapse. True identity needs to rest on something, or better, someone who is immovable, unshakable, steadfast, and never changing. Uh, I think the conference is going to be pretty clear. Identity ultimately has to rest in Christ. So our focus really shouldn't actually be on success or failure. So the question, the question of what is success and am I, is it right to be successful or wrong to be successful, I'm going to say is not even where the focus should be. The focus needs to shift entirely to a different question. Um, if we focus on pursuing, if we focus on pursuing success in and of itself, just for the sake of success, then I think it is vainglory. And it may result in temporary rewards, but it will always result in ultimate destruction. And I'll clarify why in a, in, as we go along. Pursuit of success in and of itself might result in temporary success or temporary reward. So a lot of people set out to make money. Our culture is very, very big on that's, that is what it means to be successful is to make lots of money and to not have to worry about our financial being. And a lot of people set out to do that and do it very well. And they make tons and tons and tons of money. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they did it, one, they did it the right way or anything else, but it also doesn't ensure for them ultimate success. And if they're typically if they're aimed just at that thing with no other purpose, it will lead to ultimate destruction. Kind of like what Psalm 73, the guy comes around to is, oh, actually, I don't want to be envious of these people because in the end they face judgment. That doesn't mean everybody who's successful in this world face judgment, but if that was their love, if that was their passion, if that was their primary pursuit, then it did. <clears throat> if we're focused on anything other than fully pursuing God and His glory, we are pursuing something that is less than Him, even if it's a good thing, then we're not pursuing the right end. The question, what are you actually, what are you living for, is something that all of us need to ask ourselves, but we also need to ask every, everybody that we counsel. That should come up as a question in your counseling. What are you living for? What are you here for, but also what are you living for? And we all know that every, you know, people who come in and say, I'm here to save my marriage. I'm here to get my kid fixed. I'm here to, for you to fix my spouse. Those can be good goals, but if they're the primary goal, the counseling is going to go nowhere. Because the, the, the goal has to shift to God and His glory, not anything less than that. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to have a good family, wanting to build a better society, wanting to have a great culture. But all of those things are less than God and should not be our primary pursuit. Matthew 16, <clears throat> 24 through 27 says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in glory for his Father, uh, the glory of his Father with his angels, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. The question there in the middle, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul, just highlights the fact that you could gain Great success, great notoriety, great prosperity, but lose your soul in the process. Instead, if we focus on God and His call in our lives, <clears throat> what He's instructed us to do, we, that's the focus, and then we need to leave the, the question of success or failure to Him. Um, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 25 talks about the parable of the talents. I'm not going to read the entire parable, but you remember there's three slaves who are given talents. One is given five, one is given two, and one is given one. And I'm going to flip over there because it's important for us to see in the, in the text what God is saying. What is praised in the first two servants? 
They were faithful, right? Yeah. If you look at Matthew chapter 25 down towards uh, verse 23, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Let me ask you a couple of things. What is he? He's not praised for the success, right? He's praised for being faithful. But what, did, what was the fruit of the faithfulness? Success. There was prosperity. There was multiplication of the talents he was given. And I wish, the, I wish their money was called something different uh, <clears throat> because it's too easy to confuse it with what we refer to as talents, like our abilities and skills. But the, the, he multiplied financial well-being for them. And it wasn't a bad thing. Just remember, anytime people start to fall into this pit, I just try to remind them that, hey, Abraham was a really wealthy guy. Job was a really wealthy guy. Joseph of Arimathea was a really wealthy guy. God doesn't condemn, because oftentimes people point to when Jesus said to the, the rich man who came to him and asked him how he should be saved, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And he went away sad. And some people try to say, well, that's, that's Jesus' call. And this is where we get into this, this camp, that pursuing financial well-being or success in some tangible way is wrong and sinful. And I think that's a misapplication of that passage in Luke. And uh, that, I'll just give you real brief what I think Jesus is saying, is Jesus is, knows that man's heart and what he was willing or not willing to give up. And he wasn't willing to part with his riches and because that's what it says is because he, he went away sad because he was a man of great means. He had a lot of money and he didn't want to part with it. Jesus was pointing to the fact that he was not wholeheartedly committed to faith in Jesus Christ and following him. He, was, he also had pride. He had all these other things because he was like, yeah, I've kept all the commandments. Uh, he wasn't humbling himself before the Lord. That was not a universal call. He didn't tell everybody else, go sell everything that you have. Because you see in the early church, the people who came and did sell all they had and gave part of it to the church, that was fine. But it wasn't a call given to every single person in the church. So, so we, we just have to be careful not to misapply that passage. So one, one author put it this way, the measurement of success is simply the ratio of talents used to talents received. Because if you look to... At this parable, why was one man given five, one man given two, and one man given one? According to their ability. That's right. Not everybody, and this is where we'll get into some pitfalls that we fall into when we think about success, is we, we often compare ourselves to other people, and we measure success based off of what other people are doing or whatever other people have accomplished. And it's important that we recognize we, we can't do that. God is giving, why did God give that pastor 500 people in his church and I only have 100? Why did that, why does that guy who's a total cheat get all the good deals and all the good contracts when I'm trying to do things right and I'm trying to do things by the book and pay my taxes the way that I have to and nobody wants to, to hire me on to, to do their work? We... We, we can't compare because everybody has a different gifting, everybody has different abilities, and God calls different people to do different things. Um, so what has God called us to do? Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that He has called us to. Uh, a lot of people pointed to the two greatest commandments. When I surveyed them, what does it mean to be successful? They said, well, the two greatest commandments are love God and love other people. So if we're loving God and loving other people, then we are following after God's call on our lives. <clears throat> God's glory is, uh, should be front and center. Second so, Corinthians 5.9, somebody wrote it down on the paper. Who can say it? We have made it our ambition, whether at home or away, to be pleasing to Him, right? I think, the, I think that's what it says. Romans 11.36, For from Him and through Him and to Him, to Him be the glory for all things. Um, and specifically, God's glory re related to our sanctification, right? Romans 8, 28 and 29, every biblical counselor knows this, that God works all things according to 
to those who love God and call according to His purpose for His glory and their good. So, but our good is our sanctification, our being shaped into the image of Christ. So one person summarized it this way, what you're doing with what you've got plus who you are becoming is what it means to be success. Are you a growing, maturing Christian? Whether you work in business or in Christian work as a day laborer, a professional, or an academic, if you are a maturing Christian using large percentage of your talents, you are successful. Be glad. Um, I'm going to skip down a little bit. So the primary, primary thing that I want to focus on is that our pursuit is not success, but faithfulness and fulfilling God's call in our lives for His glory and our sanctification. And we trust the results, the fruit, so prosperity, success, whatever you want to call it, is His result. Because you, you can do everything that God's called you to do, be faithful with all the talents and gifts and abilities He's given you, and in the world's eyes, be a failure. The flip, anybody think of an example like that? Paul, yeah, he was, did a lot of things right, and he ended up suffering big time for it. Jeremiah is one guy that always comes to mind. Was he faithful? Absolutely. He followed God's word when it got him into all kinds of trouble. And did he, did he see earthly success in his ministry in the sense of people following him? No. Think about Jesus. How many people, how many people left that guy's ministry? <laughs> you know? But he was faithful. So on the flip side, I said earlier that the pursuit of success in and of itself may lead to temporary gain or reward, but it will if you pursue that in and of itself, it will lead to eternal destruction. On the flip side, faithfulness, pursuing faithfulness may lead to temporary reward, but it will always lead to eternal reward. It will always lead to, yeah, eternal Fruit, success, prosperity, whatever you want to call it. Um, so uh, I'm focusing in more now on the people who, if you are successful, how do we handle that issue? So first of all, I think it's important to evaluate your success and see where did it come from. Did you arrive at your success through illicit means? If so, repent of those means, make restitution if necessary, and, and pursue faithfulness. If not, then I think the call is to steward that success well. So here's some, some temptations that we need to avoid that are often, often come up, and I'm going to kind of motor through some of this. Uh, pride manifests itself is a huge, huge temptation for all of us in every walk of life, but if you're successful, if people look to you for advice and counsel, if you've made tons of money, if you uh, are, have notoriety, whatever, however you want to measure it, pride is going to be knocking at your door in so many different fashions. There's going to be a false sense of self-sufficiency. You know, Jesus was really clear. It's hard for, it's impossible for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven because it's impossible for the camel to go through the eye of the needle. Part of the reason that is because if you are wealthy, you feel like you have no need. You feel like you can handle things on your own, that you've been able to do it. You've been successful. And the gospel goes entirely opposite that. If you think you can do it without any help, you are going to have a very difficult time bowing the knee to somebody who says you are helpless and dead in your trespasses and sin. Uh, that oftentimes manifests itself in neglecting the spiritual disciplines, even for Christians, right? I mean, if, if, I'm, a, if I'm a go-getter, if I'm a doer, 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 it's hard to slow down and spend time reading and praying, right? Because if I spent 30 minutes on my knees being quiet, I sit there and think about how many other emails could I have answered in that 30 minutes? How many donor calls could I have made? How many of this, that, da, 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 could I have done to get, get, get things done? Another temptation is trusting that you've achieved what, that you've achieved your current level and it's up to you to make it to the next level. Uh, that also goes hand in hand with the temptation that you feel like you always need to be going to the next level. 
that there's always some greater success to achieve and you never never take time for, for legitimate rest. Um, taking credit for successes, 100%. Think about Nebuchadnezzar, what happened to him. If you don't want to be out eating grass, no, I'm not saying that's going to happen. Also, Herod, in Acts chapter 12, people are praising him, giving praise to his name, and what happens? He falls over, worms eat him, and he dies. Again, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but like God doesn't look well on those who don't give credit where credit is due, mainly to him. Uh, you don't listen to others, you don't ask questions of other people, whether that's just caring about other people or getting counsel. Because if you're that successful, if you're that good, why bother asking anybody else for advice? Uh, oftentimes successful people struggle with surrounding other people that are just like them, so they don't hear contrary ideas, they don't hear people who are naysayers, they just want people who are on board with the team, with the mission, with the vision, and any naysayers are seen as op- opposing something that is good and moving forward. Uh, and so they cut them off. Uh, finding identity in the approval of others is a huge thing for success. I mean, if you're getting awards, you're getting praise, you're getting invited to speak, you're getting asked for counsel by people you see as important, that can become a real temptation to find your security and identity in that. Or your identity in performance. Like, I am the, the top employee of the month, this, this month. Or for the last six months out of the year, I was the top employee. That's who I am. Competitiveness, always having to do, outdo everybody, always having to be the best. Um, <clears throat> I think guys, we, I don't know, gals, maybe you, do, you struggle with this a lot, but guys, all, I don't know, we all struggle with this. Like if, if I'm not the smartest guy in the room, I might, I'm, I'm the toughest. Or like those guys who are tougher than me, I bet I'm smarter than them, but those guys are, you know, whatever, like, and we're always sizing people up and it's just, it's bad. Um, Comparing ourselves to others is a huge threat, not just in competitive ways, but feeling threatened by uh, one, one person highlighted the fact that they often feel threatened by others in their career field, especially younger. Uh, if they're gifted, as gifted or more gifted, that can be even more threatening. And instead of welcoming them, encouraging them, mentoring them, they try to put them down and get away. Envy is another thing. Even though you have a lot, even though you've achieved a lot, there's always more that you could, you could get. Um, being untethered from church or other means of grace. Kind of the opposite of always feeling you need to get the next thing is the temptation to just coast. Like, I've arrived. I've made my millions. I can just coast into the sunset. Materialism. Needing more, 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 more stuff, or the whole iPhone complex. Like, I got, I've always got to have the newest car, the newest model of iPhone, the newest model of whatever, constantly upgrading. Um, being held captive by what you think makes you successful. And you, you find yourself wrestling with, I don't want to do that ministry or do this because that would take away from this thing that makes me successful. Uh, avoiding things that you just aren't very successful in. Uh, a lot of times it's, it's a struggle for people who are really, really good at work, but maybe don't really have a great home life, whether it's their own fault or somebody else in their home. If, if, like, why would I, if I'm getting praise and adulation and, and succeeding in my workplace and I go home and I just get complaining, criticism, nagging, where am I going to want to be? Where am I going to want to go? And that, I mean... Ask anybody who's done marriage counseling with people who've committed adultery. It isn't always like, man, that girl looked hot and I just wanted to chase her down. It was like, man, she was, she was stroking my ego. She was telling me I'm doing great. And I'm not, I'm not a Freudian. I don't believe in ego and super, you know, all that. But you know what I mean. She's, she's making me feel good about myself. And my wife at home just nagging at me all the time. The, you know, that... that is a, is a dangerous place to be for successful people. Um, so what are some solutions now that we have five minutes left? <laughs> First and foremost, pursue humility, right? This is, this is one of the truest marks of Christians, love and humility. Philippians chapter 2 tells us, have this attitude in you which was in Christ, who although he was... Equal with God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and became a servant. 
even to the point of death, like he, humility is what marked Jesus, and that's the attitude that he calls us to have. Also, judge yourself soberly and accurately. If, you, if you're good at something, it's okay to say, yeah, I'm good at that, by God's grace, give him the credit, but don't, don't apologize for it, don't, don't try to put on false humility. But if you're also not good at something, don't think you are. Galatians 6.3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You don't want to be self-deceived. Don't talk about yourself all the time. Proverbs 27.2, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Um, If you always feel like you need to be talking yourself up, then whose glory are you actually living for? Um, I always, and I struggle with this big time, but I always encourage people, try to remove the word I from your conversation and see how difficult that is. Uh, Think about how much you're thinking about yourself. Ask others questions, praise other people, celebrate the victories and successes of others. If you are up for a promotion or a raise or something and somebody else gets it and you don't, where does your heart go? That's a good measurement of whether or not you're seeking to be faithful to the Lord and serving others or if you're seeking to glorify yourself. Um, Have gratitude to other people. Just tell people thank you. Tell the guy who is serving you water and pours water into your glass at the restaurant, tell him thank you. Tell your kids thank you for taking out the trash, even though it's their job and they should do it without you asking. Tell them to do it, you know, tell them thank you anyway. And thank God for everything in our lives. Seek godly counsel. Don't surround yourselves by people who just say yes to you. One, uh, I, not only when I surveyed these other people, but I had a meeting with uh, a lot of the executive directors of the different biblical counseling ministries. So I, I, meet, I lead a ministry called the Biblical Counseling Coalition, and part of what we do is we bring together the leaders of the different biblical counseling schools, churches, and ministries for fellowship and, and uh, building community and collaborating on things. So we have meetings together, and uh, roughly once a quarter, the executive directors from ACBC, CCF, I, IBCD, IABC, other CBC groups, um, get together, and we were talking about this issue because there's been a lot of a lot of pastors, a lot of ministry leaders falling not to embezzlement or sex, but to pride. Really, is what it amounts to. And one of the things that kept coming up again and again and again is you need godly people in your life who will speak the truth to you. And one one thing that stood out to me is somebody said, "Don't surround yourself with people who aren't impressed with you." Surround yourself with people who don't, who don't read and believe your press. You need people who, who just don't think that you walk on water and everything you do smells of roses because it, it just doesn't. You need people who will speak the truth to you. Um, Rehoboam, great bad example. You know. another, another thing I mentioned is stewarding your successes. Thank God for them and you seek to use them for His glory. Um, <clears throat> Don't apologize for them, but also you don't need to flaunt them. Uh, Dr. Pallison just passed away. Uh, his funeral was on Tuesday. And one of the things, I didn't, I didn't know that Dr. Pallison went to Harvard. You know what I mean? Like When I heard that, I thought, holy cow. I knew he was brilliant, right? But man, that guy was brilliant. And somebody in, in, in his funeral service talked about that and said, whenever David said he went to talk about his education, he said, when I was in college... And the guy talking said, I went to Temple, so I say I went to college. He said, you went to Harvard. You don't say college. You say, when I was at Harvard. But David Pallison never did that. That guy just oozed humility. And part of that was that he didn't, he didn't, he had great things. He had great gifting, great whatever, but he didn't flaunt it. He never made people feel, he never used his successes to make other people feel small. <clears throat> The other, another thing with stewarding your, your successes, you have to hold them loosely. If they're given by God, they can also be taken away. That's, that's Job's mon- the mantra from Job, right? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A good friend of mine who's very successful in, in his business um, <clears throat> says he and his wife oftentimes talk about where, how, how tightly are we holding on to this? Because... And, and the question, it's always a hypothetical, like if this was taken away, where would our hearts go? Where would we be? And that's a question that's impossible to, to always know, but we should consider it. 
we should think about it and we should pray and ask God that if all these things were taken away, that we would respond well and, and still bless the name of the Lord. Um, be generous. Luke 12 uh, is another passage where there's these guys who have a lot of money and they're arguing about it. And, Jesus, and one of the brothers tells Jesus, tell my brother to give me my inheritance. Like give me half of the inheritance. And Jesus in that, in this really, um, actually, no, that's a totally different passage I'm thinking about. This one is a guy who's, it's a parable about a rich man who has tons and tons of stuff and he has barns and he's like, tear down the barns, build up new barns and eat, drink and be merry. Like this is live it up because life is good and I've got tons of money. And God says that man is foolish. He's foolish. And he says, and because tonight your soul is demanded of you. It's that guy who gained the whole world yet forfeited soul. And Jesus said, such are those who are not rich towards God. If you have great resources, you need to be generous with them. You need to give them away. Not all of them, but you need to be giving regularly, sacrificially with a joyous heart, like 2 Corinthians 9. Um, one, one time, so leading the Biblical Counseling Coalition, I have to ask people for money. I, ask, I get donations. And one donor, um, it's kind of guy who, he's like, he actually said, yeah, I wasn't planning on giving anybody money, so here's just a small check. Sorry, I couldn't do more. And I walk away from the meeting, it's $10,000. I'm like, I need more people who are not ready to give away money <laughs> like that. <laughs> but, he, but he actually stopped and said, I want to thank you for this opportunity. He said, God has given me these, these resources, and it's, it's a stewardship for me to make sure they're being used well. Um, then you need to recognize and combat your specific struggles. Is it materialism? Then intentionally don't upgrade to the latest and newest thing. If you can, don't. I had one of these guys said, I could drive a Bentley, but I intentionally drive a Toyota Tacoma because I don't want to get sucked into the materialism. Um, if you're envious of others' accomplishments, write them cards of congratulations when they achieve something. Write thank you cards and, and, and encouragements to other people. If you're into self-promotion, remove I from your conversation. If you tend to, to, towards work, being a workaholic and staying out of other areas where you're not as successful, go do something you, you're bad at. Uh, if you're jealous or you feel competitive with younger people, reach out and try to mentor or disciple somebody. If you're the puffed up rising star, go put yourself under the mentorship and the tutelage of somebody who is wiser, more mature, and more experienced than you. And then most, most of all is take advantage of and utilize the God-given means of sanctifying grace. Study God's Word. This is where I wanted to spend more time, even though we're out of time. But Psalm 1 and Joshua 1, we already mentioned it. The prosperity comes through faithfulness. If the, pro, if the prosperity is going to be in this life, it's going to be through, and you are achieving it well, it's going to be through faithfulness. And you're going to prosper by being faithful to the Lord in eternity. You may never see the fruit of your work until after eternity. But let me ask you this, if the 70 or 80 years that God gives you, or 90 years that God gives you here on this life in comparison to eternity... If you're going to prosper in this part or that part, or do you want, I mean, it's a no-brainer. Um, prayer, I already talked about how that is just an active demonstration of your humility and your dependence on the Lord. Internalize and meditate on Scripture. Um, I have a whole list of Scriptures here. I'll give you guys my email address before I go, and I can send you those that are other passages of Scripture to meditate on this particular issue. And be involved in the church. Serve, give of your time. And if you're successful but not financially, you still need to be generous. If it's your intellect, give, give it away. Be generous. If it's your time, if whatever you're successful, if you are great with your family, invite other people into your home so they can see what that looks like. Because, man, there are a lot of families who do not have that uh, opportunity. Oh, and regular, last point, regularly remind yourself of the gospel and where you stand without Christ, but also who you are in him. And listen to all the other talks that will tell you about your identity in Christ. Let me pray. Thank you for your attentiveness.
Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I pray that all of my weaknesses and failures in this talk would fade away and that your good word would stand. I pray for all of us, uh, wherever we are, that we would think not first and foremost about who we are in relation to our successes and our failures, but who we are in Christ. And Lord, help us not to pursue success, not because, not because success is bad, but because it's missing the mark, Lord. You've called us to something so much greater of being faithful to you and pursuing your honor and your glory. And Lord, if you choose to bless us with prosperity and, and all these other areas of life, then the glory be to you because it comes from your hand anyway. And Lord, help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Copyright 2019, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at ibcd.org.